0: It's time to
1: Sometimes on, holding on, holding on, to you. it on, 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 to you. Sometimes.
2: You're listening to The Noise Cancelling Pod, the podcast about streamlining life, encouraging discourse, and maximizing your mind. Hosted by Frank Boyce and Axel Clark.
0: Welcome everybody to episode 23 of The Noise Cancelling Pod. I'm Frank Boyce.
1: And this is Axel Clark.
0: Today, we have a very exciting guest. Uh, her name is Marie Applegate. We've been talking to her a little bit before we, we started recording, and she is uh, she's a leading thinker in nonverbal connections and community building out in San Francisco. And today, she's going to discuss connections, uh, breaking down social barriers, and ways to create a more empathetic society. So Marie, I know it took us a while to get you on the program, but, but thanks so much for being on Noise Cancelling Pod.
2: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: I felt, I, I, I'll be honest, I feel kind of bad. I really hate being flaky, and I think I've had to cancel at least two or three times. So, uh, We're really happy that you're here, and, and uh, I know that was a brief bio. Can you tell everyone a little bit more just about what, what you've been doing and what you're most passionate about?
2: Sure. Um, I'm really interested in um, culture and how that relates to public spaces, um, how to bring people together in corporate spaces as well Um, and usually I do that through the lens of interactive experiences um, including installations
0: That's cool. So one thing you mentioned, so we've been talking a lot about leadership the last two episodes Mm -hmm. uh, on here. One thing you mentioned is that you work with some startups on helping them build their culture. Axel and I being both from the military and now me working in large healthcare organizations we don't We haven't had a ton of experience working with smaller teams like that. Can you talk a little bit about that work?
2: Sure. Um, So basically, I live in the Bay Area. (laughs) And if you live in the Bay Area, you're going to touch startups in some way, shape, or form. Um, And so out here, a lot of times when people start with a small, really wonderful um, team with a big idea, it's likely that they are once they get funding they're going to expand pretty quickly Um, and so one of the challenges of that is how do you retain that small tight-knit family feeling that have all the core values that you brought on board to help start the company and expand that as you're hiring You know it could be anywhere from one person a week to ten people a week Um, it can be very difficult because you're adding different energies and different personalities. Um, and so I think that sometimes it's it's hard to stop and think about how your culture is rapidly changing and evolving when your main priority as perhaps CEO is to make sure you grow to keep the company sustainable, that you forget the people aspect of it, or that's not maybe your main focus. Um, so what we're trying to do is really help people realize that the culture of a company is one of the most important things you can focus on because the value system that you create within that culture is going to attract the right people. Um, if you're just bringing on board people to fill in a certain role, um, it's easy to you know, overlook the culture fit. And so we're trying to help people figure out how to sustainably grow their culture along with their company.
1: So, are you guys looking at hiring someone who fits the culture, or how to um, establish a culture and and uh, like keep that culture with the individuals as a company grows?
2: Um, it's it's a bit. Of both. So you, as you're growing the company, you want to attract people who have the same core values. Um, and so by having the values f- front and center um, and and reminding people who are already within the company that that's the culture and to um, to bring that into their work and personal space, and and so by by having that front and center, then you're going to end up attracting people um, who share those values as well.
1: So I've seen like a couple different approaches. Like sometimes you'll see a company that has like an employee handbook and the culture is written out as like a, a prescription or a direction. But, mm-hmm. I, but but I've seen it. I think it sometimes it works better when you can tell like a single story that encompasses the culture of like sure. here's a story of what we've done and. And the story better tells the company culture rather than like the ten. Here's our ten values that no one can remember and that don't aren't really that meaningful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know?
2: definitely. Yeah, sometimes you know, playing with with presentation of of how what the company. Um, embodies is really important, and to your point, storytelling is a beautiful way to to share that experience. And storytelling has the power to really like evoke emotions. Um, and so, I think that um, part of storytelling is really bring when you bring people on board to a new company or to your company who are new. Um, Part of storytelling is is can be walking them around the space, right? Having introducing them to people and have people share their stories. Um, of course, as you're scaling a little more rapidly, it's difficult to do that with 10 new people you're bringing on board every week, um, and it can be disruptive. Um, so, yeah, a great way um, to do that is to kind of distill the, the company story. Um, and, and the people in it and, and bring that to life with, um, you know, personalized story that everyone can relate to.
0: Do you bring in any of sort of the more workshop type things where you're, you're sharing an experience with, with a new team or new members together?
2: Um, I'm sorry, can you say that one more time?
0: So like when you're bringing a new team together, you're helping a startup, do you bring any sort of like a, a workshop mentality where they're all going to come together and do some sort of a, you know, I don't want to necessarily call it a team building exercise, but, you know, working on their identity or, or working to get to know each other?
2: Yeah, you could definitely call it team building. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, so there's, um, there's this company, Play On Purpose, um, that I'm affiliated with. And one of the methods that they use is to use Play, so play based workshops as a means of bringing people together. Um, And the reason why I'm a big fan of playing is that um, I think that it distills, or I'm sorry, it um, play can diffuse like a lot of intensity um, while also highlighting the best aspects of ourselves of being creative and fun and robust. And authentic um, and uh, actually a lot of the work that I do is, is uh, play focused um, and so with, with this mentality of, of um, fun right people kind of let their guard down a little bit and they're able to, to just be themselves and, and play and have a good time and you get to learn a lot more about people through an hour of play than in a year of just working side by side with them.
0: For sure. So can you define play a little bit more? So like what, what types of activities are, are you, are you encompassing in that playing?
2: Sure. So, um, I have, uh, been doing improv since 2008. Um, so I have a strong background in, um, you know, spontaneity as we all do being, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, so what I really do is like lift some of the uh, core values of improv and use that as the, the structure for different activities um, and really the person who leads that, who founded Play on Purpose um, is Jenny Sarah Klein and so um, she, I think she borrows a lot from that and she also um, founded Acro Yoga which I'm not sure if you guys are familiar. It's basically a mix of acrobatics and yoga, and you have at least two people doing it. But um, So she brought that movement worldwide, and so she decided to focus on play, um, and she brings uh, some of that element of body movements and engaging with each other through use of our body. Um, and I think your question is, how do you define play? Um, yeah I, I don't have like a solid definition of what play is. I think play is just the act of um, of release and um, engagement with others. Um, yeah I don't I don't have a good definition for that.
0: So would you say like sports would you are sports a form of play?
2: I mean, It can be, definitely, yeah, Um, but the the play, I guess that I'm, um, so I think with sports, there's an ultimate goal, Mm -hmm. which is to win, and I don't think that um, the overall branch, the overall umbrella of play necessarily has that goal, Mm. but I think that that falls under that umbrella.
0: Okay.
1: so. I love hearing about this because, well, I explained to Frank, so before I was, I'm in the Air Force, and before I'm in my current job, I ran an office uh, at one of the bases, and we tried to do something fun every single month. So, like, we started off doing just, like, team building stuff, and then I think we did laser tag, but the pinnacle was we did a one-hour LARPing event, live-action role-playing,
0: So you you dress
1: up in the, and like, so we're in the military and we did this like out in the public area and people are like, what is going, like, what are these people doing? And it was funny because I had (laughs) this idea and I kind of used it as a threat to the people in the office. I'm like, Hey, look, we're going to be doing this live action role playing here in the near future. And everyone's (laughs) like, that's ridiculous. There's no way I'm not doing that. And then I had one other person kind of pick it up and they wanted to do it. So I just let them plan it. And out of the eighteen people, I think I had sixteen of the people participated. And the funny thing was, afterwards, everyone's like, "Whoa, that was so much more fun than I expected." And we got this sweet <laughs> yeah. picture. We got this sweet picture of everyone in their like weird, crazy costumes. It was awesome. Totally.
2: <laughs> and the fact that you did it in public is like a hundred percent better because.
1: <laughs> oh yeah.
2: I imagine. Yeah. I imagine when you go into a situation where you're the. I'm gonna. Air quote weirdos, right? Like that totally will like bind a group together like that much more. Ex-
1: no, that's true. That's exactly because I wanted that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but I wanted the other people around the base to think that we are crazy. Like I wanted <laughs> yeah. that to be an identity that these guys will do anything. Well, before that, we did uh, Christmas caroling around the base. And it was the same oh thing gosh. where people were like real scared that they're like, hey, when we go to the someone else's office, they're going to be think that we're like goofy or we're just wasting time. But uh, one of the cool things, was, so we went to this last one and uh, and the, like one of the young kids of the office we went to, he sent a, like an email over to someone else and he's like, hey, you know, thanks so much for doing that. I was having a down week so it was during Christmas and like that really made my, like that was awesome. That really made my week. So that was just like you thought it was just a goofy thing, but it actually people really appreciated it to see, to, even just to see other people out acting weird and goopy.
2: Yeah, it's totally a morale booster, right? And not, not just for your team, but for everyone it affects. So that's that's really cool that you guys did that. That makes me happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I, I also think that's a good segue to talk about, you know, how how you kind of bring that sort of element of play into public spaces. So can you talk a little bit, kind of introduce that, that idea and maybe a little bit more about your background of what, what you're doing in, in public spaces right now in San Francisco?
2: Sure, yeah, thank you. Um, so I've been playing with public spaces for about three years now. Um, so initially it started with this um, idea of free space. Um, And so free space was this movement that started here the summer of 2013 where we um, basically negotiated to rent a warehouse building in San Francisco um, for $1 for one month. And so we had basically this free space where we invited people to come in and... And by, when I say people, I mean the public. It was anyone and everyone and all were welcome into the space. And they were invited to do whatever they wanted, which is a pretty strange, maybe radical concept, because usually there's rules, there's structures, there's a purpose. But we put that notion in the hands of the public of people coming in. And so ultimately, it became a space of, like, how how can I play with this space <laughs> and so we had everyone from like you know millionaire venture capitalists come in to artists to um, you know engineers to students to kindergarten classes to teachers to homeless people who lived in that area so it's this very um Interesting space that invited you know all kinds of people to come create together, um, and so that er- initially started my um, my work in um, public spaces in San Francisco. Um, since then, I've uh, done a couple other similar similar things where we take over underutilized um, public spaces. And have created opportunities of you know like serendipitous moments of of people coming together because there's a visual point or some some event experience going on in which um, people are invited to it. Um, so I'll talk about. I guess, um, um, let's see. Last year there was a something called the Market Street Prototyping Festival. And that Market Street in San Francisco is one of the main streets that goes from um, the water by the Embarcadero all the way through the Financial District, through the Theater District, through um, all the way up through the Castro. So it's a pretty long, big street. Um, And so on this street, um, there was a prototyping festival. And so San Francisco invited people to submit ideas, um, you know, installation ideas to make San Francisco more engaging and playful. Um, And so I submitted an idea that was selected and so I created uh, this piece that um, was a large scale, that scaled up um, kitchen area. And what I mean by that is that it was like a, a dinette set, like, you know, table and chairs and. A large scale refrigerator, a large scale counter, um, a large scale cookie jar, and so the idea was to invite adults to feel like their three year old selves. Mm. And why three? One might ask. Um, Well, I think that between the ages of like zero and three, or just you know before before kids start getting into school, like our pre socialized selves. I feel like that is where we are our most authentic, creative, confident selves, more like our most playful selves. Um, and so I wanted to invite adults to do that and I was trying to figure out how how in the world can I do that without speaking to them. And so I thought by making adults physically feel like they're three years old, that they might positively, psychologically regress into that mode once they physically feel around that age in terms of like you know barely being able to look over the table like seeing that large cookie jar and like not being able to reach it (laughs) um and so what was really fun and interesting is that this lived on that street um for a few days It it was a temporary festival um it was really really fun to see especially, like, full-grown men in their, like, fancy business suits, which is really rare in San Francisco because everyone wears jeans and hoodies. But to see those those guys in business suits see the cookie jar and, like, literally make a beeline for it. So (laughs) they, like, climbed on this large chair and climbed on the table just to get that sense of satisfaction of, yeah, I got that cookie. it's It's just, it's really cute. And they also, like, sat on the, the chairs and would start like swaying their feet back and forth and so <laughs> it's just like all sorts of people that was their initial reaction was either I see the cookie jar I'm going to make a beeline for it or I'm going to sit on that chair and swing my feet like I've never swung my mm-hmm. feet before so it's really cute and their faces totally <laughs> lit up and they smiled and they were looking to other people to share that experience with, right? So, when you have a sense of like awe and wonder and excitement, especially in a public place, your initial reaction is to make eye contact. And when you want to make eye contact, you want to share the experience, right? So, you have like all these people who are looking on, so you kind of have an audience, but they're also invited to participate. Um, so it was, it was just really cool to to witness people r- regress into this like beaming little <laughs> like <thing-like laughs> sense.
0: <laughs> well, that uh, sounds awesome.
2: Yeah. So, thank you. It was, it was a lot of fun. And um, so, so playing off of that idea in this new role um, that I have, I'm going to be focusing kind of in the Market Street Civic Center area, which has been a, a, a pretty, I'd say, sick area in San Francisco in terms of it hasn't been very well addressed or taken care of over the years and um, there are a lot of transient folks but a lot of um, drug users who live in the area and homeless people, And um, but also City Hall is in this area and the San Francisco Library and the Asian Art Museum. Um, and so there's going to be a an installation um, up there for a couple of years. And so I'm going to be creating um, different interactions and activations in this area. Um, and so I'm going to, in addition to the, the pre-existing installation, I'm going to add other temporary installations and other temporary um and engagement opportunities for the public to come and, and play and, and hang out with each other.
0: That's great. I love your breakdown. It was almost like listening to a neuroscientist breakdown, like what's actually happening in, in people's brain when when they're actually when they start to engage. Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, you, you mean like they're not looking at their phones?
2: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly yeah
0: i like, that's so cool. That's such a great way to say that, like really breaking down what's happening when we're actually starting to engage with each other.
2: Yeah. Well, that, that's actually a little bit of an interest of mine is neuroscience. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. And I, and uh, a lot of that informs um, my processes. Um, so I'm, I'm affiliated with uh, Stanford Center for Compassion, Altruism Research and Education, so I, I do take like a lot of, I'm sorry, the founder of that is a, a neurosurgeon, so there are a lot of neuroscience informs their, um, their studies and that informs the work that I do. That's kind of like the underlying foundation of, of, um, of everything that I do is, is their work of, uh, on compassion and altruism.
0: That's awesome. Excellent.
1: Hey, so you have, on, on your website you have a little section on social experiments. And so mm-hmm. you talk about Silent Connections. What are life soundtracks?
2: <laughs> um, cool, yeah. Uh, life soundtracks is, so this was an experiment, um, so that, that that was a prototype experiment, um, so basically uh, what we did is we had a okay. Let me let me backtrack. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of life soundtracks is that the question was: Does music have a profound impact on how we perceive our environment and surroundings? And so, part of this uh, informed how. Um, we had this like glass booth. Um, so so, so uh, basically free space, we had two free spaces. One of the free spaces, um, one of the empty buildings that we took over was on Market Street in San Francisco, which is, uh, as I mentioned, one of the main drags. So there's a lot of foot traffic. Um, and so it was an old storefront, and so their front, of the building is all window display style. And so I repurposed one of the display windows and turned it into a booth. Um, And what I did was invited the public to come into that booth and play different genres of music as we observed the Market Street environment and people walking. Um, and so I played everything from like, you know, Beastie Boys to Etta James to Tchaikovsky to just like a really broad range of music. And we didn't talk or engage as we played the music. We simply just listened and then talked about our experiences afterwards. And so what was interesting is that, um, it, Totally, at least in, in this style, it totally informed what people were looking at and what people noticed. So when we played Beastie Boys, I think it was like intergalactic, um, I'm not sure, There's, if you guys know the song, there's like a beat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would say about like... You know, sixty to seventy percent of the people started noticing the pigeons because the bit the pigeons (laughs) when they walk, they have this like beat. Wow!
1: Yeah,
2: (laughs) so they were they were drawn to that beat, which made them look at other things that match that beat, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I thought that that was pretty fascinating. Or when we listened to Etta James's "At Last," um, which is you know a very romantic, sweet love song. People notice couples, mm. and so it, it definitely um, indicated that people what what people are listening to um, shapes their the lens of how they view the world. Um, so that that was just like a little fun, yeah, yeah experiment. <laughs> mm.
0: That sounds awesome.
2: Thanks, and I'm, um, yeah, I'm hoping to do to do. Kind of, I haven't done too many of those lately um, because I have a a 15 month old, so I've kind of been pretty low key, but I'm excited to, to re engage the public and start coming up with some. Crazy shit. <laughs> yeah. So, if you guys have any ideas, or if any of your, um, you know, listeners out there have any crazy ideas, please let me know. And I'm happy to like go wild and crazy out in the public.
1: I love this. This is great. I'm definitely thinking about this. <laughs> cool.
0: Are you gonna apply this to your next command, Axel? Uh,
1: I like. I feel the best thing about this is now. I feel like I have some. Uh, I don't like something behind it like i can say hey look this there's there's some like actual uh <laughs> um, not like study or information behind what i'm doing it's not just me seeing what i can get other people to do yeah
0: that gives tons of legitimacy <clears throat> for sure um one thing so the the original impetus for us talking to you was this silent uh workshop um in my original show notes that I sent like three months ago, I said, maybe we could try it on the air. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, <laughs> silent, silent workshop may not work great on a podcast, but I'd love for you to talk about it a little
2: bit. Not more. So much. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so silent connections, um, really originated from, um, a handful of experiences. Um, and, uh, Part of that is uh, I did this um, 10-day silent meditation retreat where we weren't allowed to talk um, and we had to focus on meditating. We were initially we're not allowed. We weren't supposed to look at each other at all. We are supposed to kind of be in our own worlds. And that was for 10 days from 4 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. So it was pretty intense. Um, but something that I noticed in, in that experience is that in this room that I shared with about eight other women, it's it was a like summer camp bunk bed style. Um, is that we couldn't ask each other to do anything; we either did it or didn't do it. So, for example, turning the lights off at the mm. the end of the day. The very first night, the lights remained on when everyone was in bed for a long time. <laughs> We were all expecting each other to turn off the lights. And then finally someone went <laughs> and like got up and turned off the lights. <laughs> but it was really funny, right? Because you couldn't say, hey, can you go turn off the lights? You're the closest. It's like it either gets done or it doesn't. Um, and um, I thought there was beauty in, in, in that um, aspect of not being able to speak and just, just doing. Um, and then the second thing that I noticed, too, is that we could tell when, um, when someone was having like a difficult day. Um, I think by the time we were in the sixth or seventh day, you could tell when someone was, um, you know, going through their own mini breakthroughs just by the way they walked back into the, into the room. And it was in the way their feet didn't pick up, like there was Mm. more shuffling. I mean, Mm. you start noticing really small, you know, nonverbal communications. Um, And so it was the way someone, like, threw their towel on their bed or just, like, continually huffed or puffed. And um, on the other end of the spectrum, you could really tell when someone... Felt deeply connected with themselves. Like the way they carried themselves was, at, you know, their posture was all of a sudden just really, um, really straight. And they felt it, it. almost looked like they were like receiving something, but I don't know what. But it was it was just beautiful to to watch people's energies and feel people's energies throughout throughout this process. Um, so so that combined with um, Learning more about um, Stanford Seacare. Uh, I was introduced to that um, amongst, amongst that group. And also having a young child who didn't have any words to speak but can only communicate through actions or um, some sort of babble. So that all kind of uh, came together to create Silent Connections. Um, and Silent Connections is really about... Um, creating a, an experience for people to come together and be with each other and engage with each other without speaking, and I think that, um, as I mentioned before, we we jumped on the podcast. Um, you know, I think that speaking and writing and words are amazing and beautiful, and you know can really evoke like intense feelings. Um, but I think that it also has, um, you know, the power to shut people down, to create walls. Um, and so by removing this, this tool that we rely on so heavily, we're left with a whole new um, way of engaging that we do every day, but that we forget about. Um, And so by removing the crutch of our words, uh, I think people can um, interact with each other in a a more vulnerable, raw way. Um, And so it sounds really intense and scary, which definitely there are parts of it that are. um, But there's a lot of um, improv games that come into play that I use as well. Um, So there's kind of like an introductory phase of silent connections where people lightly engage with each other and they play with each other and they're ultimately like building trust then um, there's a pinnacle point which is probably the most intense part which is the eye gazing for a minute and then an eye gazing in different ways Um, and then it kind of builds back down into you know engaging together in in a group and and kind of um um, releasing all that intensity at the end.
0: That's awesome.
1: I, I liked, before the podcast when we were talking, I liked when you talked about how sometimes vocabulary can, like, you can tell people's education, you can tell, like, it kind of groups us together. And so then when you remove vocabulary, kind of like your predefined groups, it's less, it's less predefined and you kind of are able to come together as a mixed group more easily maybe.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, for bringing that up. Um, yeah, I think um, it, it, it can, as much as it can separate people, it can also bring people together, right? But then, but then you create these um, mini subgroups within a, a larger group. And so, yeah, to remove that, you know, we, can, we, we judge people based on um, the, their vocabulary, the way they speak, their accents, their maybe broken English... Um, and so by by removing all of that, you destigmatize the people you're interacting with and and it's purely based on maybe this is a little too hippie to be out there for you guys, but it's based on energy, right, <laughs> so we're just really like creating the space and opportunity to to feel each other's energy.
0: I love that idea, <clears throat> and I think what <laughs> I feel like the challenge in my head is like. How do you distill 10 days of that experience? Because uh, I'm sure your workshops are, uh, I don't know if they're an hour or four hours or an all day, but it, it has to be really difficult because in, in 10 days you have so much space to kind of sort out your own feelings and, and sort out your own hang-ups and really kind of give into those moments. Whereas, you know, if somebody knows that, you know, they're here for an hour, you know, it, it, it seems like that would be a little bit harder for them to really dive completely in.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a an, an, um, you know a teeny tiny little appetizer into the ten day experience, <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's um, influenced by the the ten day experience. Um, however, that takes a lot of crazy commitment and dedication, and um, its purpose is, is more focused on the self, whereas Silent Connections is more, is, you know, definitely learning about self and self-improvement, um, coupled with, you know, your impact on the community around you.
0: That's awesome. So is there anything upcoming that you, you can plug on the show today that we can, we can get people out to?
2: Oh, man. Um, yeah. So if you guys want to come out to the culture conference... That will be in April in Santa Clara, California. Um, our we're just getting our website up, but um, that that'll be up. Um, there's also Play on Purpose, which is the um, the company that goes into the corporate spaces and and uses play as an, an opportunity to, to bring teams together. Um, and then if you any of you guys want me to come out. <laughs> To your companies, I'm happy to do silent connections or play-based, um, play-based workshops for your teams.
0: That's awesome. So cool. We'll throw we'll throw some of those. If if you have a link, we'll throw that up in the show notes. Actually, do you have any other questions?
1: No, I don't have anything else. This has been great.
0: Yeah, and as always, we we like to give our guests some space to say you know whatever they want or what they're most passionate about. So, is there anything you'd like to add, Marie?
2: Um. I just wanted to say thank you guys for inviting me to, to be on your podcast. I really appreciate it and um, and I don't really have much else to say. I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking forward to one, I guess Frank, your book, and, <laughs> yeah. and Axel, I'm looking forward to hearing more about your upcoming shenanigans.
1: All right. <laughs> nice. Well I'm, well, I'm Frank Boyce. <laughs> and this is Axel Clark. Go out, play, and make connections.
2: Cool.